leaders in Jerusalem freed Peter and John after their arrest. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priest and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, and now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody here together. You all look happy? No? Sun is shining. Everybody's got joy in their heart. And here we are on week nine. Can you believe you've been doing this for nine weeks in the book of Acts? So here we are, and I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter four. <clears throat> Let me just do a quick recap of what we've already studied in Acts chapter four. Uh, remember, Peter and John were arrested, and their crime, well, they had healed a lame man, and then they preached to the crowd about Jesus and his resurrection. That certainly sounds like a capital crime, doesn't it? Well, I'm guessing the religious and governing authorities, they, they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have bothered them. They very likely would have ignored all of this, except for one problem. Since they started this just days ago, they've got 20,000 followers, and now they've got a problem on their hand. 20,000 people ecstatic about what is happening. And uh, folks, there was no sign of this Jesus movement slowing down. The numbers were growing. It was picking up too much momentum and attention. So what's the problem? Well. Remember what Peter accused them of. He said, you're the ones that killed Jesus. Think about that. 20,000 people. Peter has just told 20,000 people, you're the one who killed Jesus. Now who's afraid? They're, they're quite terrified, actually. And this group, is uh, they understand that these 20,000 people are a threat. They're a threat to these to these leaders, it's a threat to the social and the religious order in Israel at that time, particularly in Jerusalem. Their power is being threatened, their fame, their prominence, their prosperity, it's all being threatened now. Remember, a man has been healed, a man who was lame since birth, and more than that, there's a man who was resurrected from the dead. His name is Jesus. So these leaders know they got to do something. They just can't sit back and do nothing. Hey, people will do just about anything for power. Isn't that true? We recently witnessed this in our city. A certain pastor who claimed to hold to Christian belief, he denounced his faith in order to become mayor. 
people will do anything to get a hold of power. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening here. These men, as we see here, they were arrested and they were put into jail. And then we read in verse 21, the council then threatened them further and uh, they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. There's 20,000 people out there that like what these guys are preaching. For everyone was praising God. Now you would think, that if everybody's praising God, you'd think that these guys would say, hey, well, maybe there's something to this. These people weren't rioting in the streets. They weren't burning anything down. They weren't, they weren't killing anybody. There's no violence, but they're praising God. And the religious leaders say, this is not good. Huh? What do you mean this is not good? For this miraculous sign, the healing of a, of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. This is what they're praising God about. Today, we're going to talk about two subjects that are closely connected. We're going to talk about persecution, Christian persecution, and Christian prayer. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out why these two subjects are often <laughs> discussed together. Because if you're being persecuted, what else are you going to do? You're going to pray, right? So let's take a look, first of all, at persecution. Through the persecution of these magistrates and these religious leaders, they were trying to create a, a climate of fear and intimidation. Did you, did you get in that? This is what they're trying to do. They're trying to intimidate. We'll throw them into jail. We'll arrest them. We'll threaten them. We'll discuss ways to punish them. They felt if they just did that, that would be good enough. That'll shut these guys up. They'll be terrified. They won't say anything anymore. They're essentially saying to Peter and John, remember, we killed Jesus, and we can do the same thing to you. Now, as a Christian, you need to understand that you will indeed face persecution. Jesus promised us that, didn't he? In John 15, 18 to 20, we read it last week. If the world hates you, says Jesus, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. Hey, if the world loves you, if non-believers love you, then you gotta ask yourself the question, what am I doing wrong? Now, if they love you because you're being such a good Christian, well, maybe, we can, maybe we're good there. But they better be loving you because you are being so Christ-like, not because you're being like them. And by the way, this is the modern approach to church growth. We're trying to, we're trying to win people by not offending them. When they come to church, I know one church, they don't mention the word sin, they don't say that you need to repent. They don't say you're going to hell. They don't say anything that could be offensive to the unbeliever. If you take that out, then you don't have a gospel to preach. What exactly are you going to say to people? We can help you to be more successful? Yeah, but what happens when you die? We're not dealing with that problem. We're telling you how you can have a good life here and now, but we're not telling you what happens when you die. So that's not a gospel. You don't need Jesus for that. TV is full of motivational speakers. Tony Robbins has made billions telling people how you can have a successful life now, but man, he's, he, he's, he's got nothing for you when you die. And so Jesus says, do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. 
since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. Now, does this terrify you? Come on, honestly, does it terrify you? Does it make you afraid? Nobody's answering that question because you don't want to come across as unspiritual, do you? Hey, there's moments when, when I'm faced with that, even now, and I think, ooh. But here's what Jesus says. He says, don't be afraid. You terrified? If you're afraid, well, Jesus says, don't be. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, that is, for a short time, not for an eternity. How many know that? Persecution is like, like this. But eternity is, I, my arms aren't long enough. It's, gonna be, it's just brief. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. And anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. So understand, again, persecution is normal. Tell the person beside you, persecution's normal. What do they say? Are they all in favor? Persecution's normal. Now, look, I'm not saying be an idiot and go look for it. Because some people are being persecuted not because they're good Christians, it's just because they're obnoxious. <laughs> And even if they were Christians, they'd still be persecuted because they're obnoxious people. Look, I hope that you're not being persecuted because you're obnoxious. What you need to understand, my friends, in talking about persecution is that death is not the problem. Are you getting this? What's the problem? It's the second death that's the problem. Did you get that? The first death, kill me, I don't care. To live as Christ, to die as gain, what do I care? To be here is to serve Jesus. To die is to be with Jesus. So I win either way. You can't, you're not going to win this. It's the second death. That's the problem. And what is the second death? Well, of course, the scripture teaches us that the second death is eternal hell. A conversation we don't like to, to have, a thing we don't like to talk about. So Jesus is teaching us that we should not be afraid. We've got nothing to be afraid of. At the end of the day, we've got nothing to be afraid of. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Why does a lion roar? Well, because he's lazy. He doesn't feel like running around after you. What he wants to do is he wants to paralyze you with fear, so he just has to go, and walk over and eat you. That's simple. That's what Satan does. He tries to paralyze us with fear. He tries to paralyze us with the, with the thought, oh, dear, I'm going to be persecuted when I get persecuted. What, what are they going to do to me? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Because ultimately, they really can't do a whole lot to you. So here's the thing, my friends, the disciples, they were indeed very alert, but not afraid. Why not? Because before they sure were. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Remember when Jesus was arrested in the garden? They were terrified. And they all deserted Jesus in just moments. 
I was going to say minutes, but I don't even know if it was minutes. It was like moments. <laughs> and they deserted him after being with him for three years and witnessing all the miracles, including people being resurrected from the dead. They were terrified. In fact, so terrified that Peter was intimidated by little girls. He said, aren't you the one that hang out with Jesus? I'm guessing that that's what they sounded like. Come on, it's not a bad... I mean, at 60, my voice can't go that high anymore, but... Aren't you the one? Peter denies not once, not twice, but three times, and curses. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. He's terrified. And he, in fact, denies Jesus three times. So it's not, it's not just once, but it's over and over and over again. I don't know him. Terrified. But now, but now, no way. You can't terrify me. They were not afraid. Well, for one thing, they'd received the Holy Spirit. Can I just remind everybody today, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you how? Richly, in abundance. The Holy Spirit's with you. But here's the other thing. This is, they were terrified before Jesus' resurrection. They saw Jesus about to be persecuted and then crucified and then put to death. But remember, they had just spent 40 days with the resurrected Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. They had just spent time with the resurrected Jesus. They crucified him, they hung him on a cross, they put him in a tomb, and the grave couldn't keep Jesus down. Nothing could keep Jesus down. Death couldn't keep Jesus down. Why? Because he's innocent. And in his resurrection, what are we reminded? That we too we who have put our faith in Christ, we too will be resurrected. So there's nothing to be afraid of. Don't be afraid of the first death. It won't be able to keep you down. Wow. So here's, uh, here's these disciples. They, they knew that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans and all the rest of the Gentiles, they were just roaring. Think of that, Think of that for a moment. They were just roaring. They were trying to paralyze them with fear. I want you to understand something today. Make this, let this just sink into your hearts. There is nothing that Satan can do to you. Did you get that? I, I, I hear people say this to, to me all the time. Well, Satan's getting the victory in my life. Satan's winning. Satan's hurting me. Satan, don't worry about Satan. Ignore him. Understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He is the one who conquered death. He conquered death. He conquered death. Wow. His power is infinitely greater than any one of these enemies. Did you get that? There is no power, no force on this planet that can come anywhere near the power of Almighty God. You need to understand that. Because when you go out from this place, you need to go and understand, watch this, you are invincible. 
Paul says, we are more than conquerors. Well, what does that mean? Because once you've conquered, what more could you be? Well, Paul says you're even more than a conqueror. In other words, there is no power in this universe that can subdue you, except God himself. If you're going to be afraid of something, don't be afraid of Satan. Be afraid of God. What, Pastor Alan? What did you just say? Well, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't be afraid of Satan. Be afraid of God. Be afraid of not doing his will. Because as the writer of Hebrews says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Our God is a consuming fire. Don't be afraid of Satan. Don't be afraid of the bullies, the big shots, the ones who are sitting on high thinking they're so mighty. They're nothing. And you need to get that clearly in your head. And Peter and John certainly had that clearly in their head. They stood up to those bullies and they said, well, you're the ones that killed this Jesus. This Jesus who was promised to us through the prophets and the Holy Scripture, you killed him. They brought Peter and John before them to intimidate them. But Peter and John said, oh, yeah? Bring it on. Bring it on. Because at the end of the day, all the threats from the pit of hell cannot equal the truth, which is the word of God. And that, my friends, is what Peter and John threw right back at them. That's what Jesus did with Satan, remember? Satan, well, you should do this. You should, and Jesus says what? Well, it is written. It is written. Here's what the scripture says. That's the power of the word of God. And by the way, that's why you have to read your Bible every day. You need to be empowered. You need to be infused with this power. And when, when Paul tells us to be filled with the spirit, what do you think he's talking about? He's talking about being filled with the word of God. The spirit of God and the word of God work together in tandem to make you a powerhouse. And that's exactly, my friends, what we see in Peter and John. They're not learned. They're fishermen. These men, these Sadducees and Pharisees, these are doctors of the law of Israel. They know it forward and backward. They know the loopholes. They know how to twist it they, because they're lawyers. Wow. So Jesus says, don't be afraid of persecution. Paul says, God's grace is sufficient for me. In fact, James repeats that, James 4, 6, and he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Don't be afraid of, of Satan. Be afraid of God. And I'm going to tell you this right now. When you're doing the will of God, then, my friends, what's going to happen is that God will infuse you with his grace, which is just another way of talking about the power of the Holy Spirit being given to you to empower you to live the Christian life. Well, I guess uh, we could always pray to be protected, right? Or at least be delivered from persecution. You're not saying anything because you, you don't want to be tricked by me. Because I can say something, and if you answer the wrong way. So, 
What do we do now? We're going to be persecuted? I told you we're going to talk about persecution and prayer. So do we pray, oh God, don't let me be persecuted? God, please don't let me to be persecuted, right? Pastor, right? Right? Please? Please? No. The short answer is no. But let me, let me show you now what happens after Peter and John return to the believers. And we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31, or to, uh, yeah, Acts chapter 4, 23 to 31, we see what happens. And in fact, verses 24 to 30 is the actual prayer of the church. It's so powerful. And we learn so much here about how to pray. I had somebody ask me not that long ago, Pastor, I'm really excited about the class. The class is on Wednesday night. And one of the things I'm excited about is learning how to pray. Well, folks, I am gonna teach you how to pray on this coming Wednesday. But first, uh, in this message this morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just show you what the early church understood about prayer and about how we ought to pray. So we read then, if you have your Bibles, we read in verse 23 of Acts 4. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and the elders had said. Hey, what did Peter, what did Peter do after Jesus was, elect, uh, was, uh, was arrested? Oh, what did the disciples do? They ran away. They went and hid. But no, Peter and John, now they're not running away to hide. They're running to where the collection of believers are. Brilliant. Hey, listen, folks. If you want to know how to get through times of persecution, the first thing you need to do is you need to stay close to other believers. Get it? You need each other. You need each other. You can't serve Jesus all by yourself. And so this is what they do. And then we read in verse... 24, 24a, when they heard the report, all the believers, let me put that up on the screen here. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Let's stop right here for a moment because we learned something here about prayer. Corporate prayer, that means prayer together, means that someone is praying and the rest are agreeing out loud, even loudly. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Now, this doesn't mean that they all had a prayer rehearsed and that they were all now reciting it at the same time. No, what it means when it says that they were all, that all the believers lifted their voices together, what it means is that someone, and who knows what it, who it was, that's probably Peter, was praying aloud and then everybody else was joining together. And folks, it says they lifted their voices. In some translation, it says they prayed loudly. Now here is where being a Pentecostal really comes in handy. I know some here are not Pentecostals and don't have come from a Pentecostal background, but here's what you need to understand. It's important when you're praying together that there is agreement in prayer. This is why during on our Tuesday night prayer meetings, you will hear me, the one who leads the prayer meeting, you will hear me agreeing loudly. And what do I say when I agree loudly? I say, hallelujah. What else do I say? Amen. Yes. Yes, Lord. Let it be, oh God. Do it, Lord. If you're not uttering agreements 
as they were here. When you're praying, it becomes a very boring and tiresome prayer meeting. How many know what I'm talking about? In fact, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. And we kill them off one by one. Listen. <laughs> When you're gathering, gathering together to pray, the point of a prayer meeting is that it's all of us praying together. Get it? Amen? So be it. Because that's what amen means, right? So be it. Yes, indeed. I agree. And so here's what I'd like to ha see happen on Tuesday night when, when you come for prayer. I want, to, I want to hear you say amen. Let's keep this thing alive. Let's keep it exciting rather than let's pray in the power and the authority of God, knowing to whom we're praying, the one who's conquered death, the one who is the Lord and King of the universe. Boy, we're getting there. This is good. This is really good. We're, we're kind of getting there. Being, look, at, when you're in a prayer meeting, you don't sit there and observe. And you certainly, I've seen this, when we're, we're in a prayer meeting, people are on their phones. Or reading something else altogether, not even engaged unless it's their turn to pray. Well, I'll, I'll join in again. No, the whole point of a prayer meeting is that we are all together lifting our voices in prayer to God. Do I need to say more about that? In Hebrew, amen is an acronym, which means, uh, it's an acronym of the words God, trustworthy king. And so when we're praying, we're saying amen, we're saying, God, we acknowledge to whom we are praying. We know that you're trustworthy. We know that you're the king who is sovereign over all. We know nothing is too difficult for you. We know, oh God, that we're praying according to your will and to your purpose. You think God hears that kind of a prayer? You better believe it. You better believe it. And so then we read on. This, now remember, we're in the prayer now. We're in the prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Let's stop there for a moment. Because what you need to, what you need to recognize is that these people know who God is. They are remembering that. So when you go into prayer, we don't just say Jesus this and Jesus that. We're saying, Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, oh, sovereign Lord. We're using the titles of God because we need to be reminded to whom we are praying. You need to be reminded that he is sovereign. You need to understand that he is Lord. Now, it's interesting. This is really interesting. When you read this in the Greek, you discover that the word Lord here is not the, the typical word that's used. The typical word that's used is kyrios. That's usually the word that's used, which means master. But here, here they're using a, a Greek word, despota, which is, which is the, the it, it, you, you maybe recognize that. It's where we get the word despot or dictator. What's, what, is it, what are they saying here? 
What they're saying is, we were just before the magistrates and the leaders, the religious authorities of Israel. But now, oh God, we come to you who is the ultimate magistrate and authority in heaven and on earth. Isn't that beautiful? We were before, we were before these earthly magistrates and, and judges and, and authorities, but now we're before the authority of Almighty God, the authority that is matchless that is universal. Wow, what a fantastic picture this is. Oh God, you're the one who rules over others. You're praying to the highest authority in heaven when you go into prayer. Do you recognize that? He's not one of the gods. He is the Lord God Almighty. Use that kind of language in your praying. It's a beautiful, beautiful faith booster when you go before the Lord and you pray to him as almighty one, almighty God, oh, sovereign Lord. Sometimes you hear me praying like that and you wonder, why is he using those big words? Is he just showing off? Pastor Allen's showing off again. <laughs> nope. I need to remind myself to whom I'm praying. And there's no power on this earth that matches the power of almighty God. He's sovereign, which means supreme. It means predominant, dominant. It means self-determining. There is nothing and no one that can stop God. Do you get this today? You need to get this. This is to whom, the one to whom you're praying. And the next thing you need to recognize is they're praying the word of God. Look at verse 25. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, how many know it's a good idea to pray the word? If you don't know what to pray, just pray the word of God. And that's what they did here. Why were the nations so angry? They're quoting from Psalm chapter two, verses one to two here. Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? Hey, that's our world, isn't it? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. They're quoting scripture. They know that the persecution that's going on right now has been prophesied in scripture. This, is not, this should not be a shock to anyone. This shouldn't, shouldn't be a surprise. This was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand. You're praying now with true clarification and understanding. That's the way you and I pray. We pray according to scripture. Hey, folks, listen, as long as you're praying according to scripture, according, according to the will of God, you're good. God will hear your prayer and he will answer your prayer. In saying this, they understand, they understand clearly what's going on here. These, uh, these magistrates, these religious leaders, they're not attacking Peter and John. You know that, right? Everybody understands that? Who are they attacking? Jesus Christ. And when you come under persecution, when your family is angry at you because you're a Christian, because you love Jesus, it's not that they hate you. They hate Christ. It's not that they hate you. They hate the church. They hate the gospel. They hate the word of God. They hate truth. So don't be offended. 
understand what's going on here. This is just the fulfillment of the scriptures. All the rulers, all the authorities of this earth, all of the systems and the institutions of this earth are gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. But what we know from the scriptures is that the day is coming when all the authorities and the leaders of this world will gather together against the Lord. And in that day, in that glorious battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ, once and for all, will establish himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Somebody say it. Hallelujah. This, my friends, is our God. This is Jesus Christ. Oh, and they can prattle away and they can threaten and they can shake their fist at God, but the day is coming when it all comes to an end once and for all. Do you remember the second death? Need I say more? Okay, I won't. So they're praying, and then they go on to say, and God, remember, this is a prayer. And God, in fact, this attack has happened here in this very city for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. So what have we learned so far? First of all, we need to pray and agree out loud. Right, we're gonna do that on Tuesday, right? That's right. That's right. And the second thing we learn, we remember we have to remember who God is. He's the sovereign God, he's the highest authority. The third thing you need to do is you need to pray according to the word of God. And now, what are we learning? We gotta pray according to his will, right? This was the will of God. This was the sovereign will of God. Folks, when you're praying according to the will of God, it takes away all the panic and all the fear. Did you get that? You're all worried and panicking about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? Don't worry about these things. In fact, don't, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be worrying about that because that's what pagan people do. Do we have any pagans here today? Do we have anybody here today who worries? Don't put your hand up because <laughs> I'm going to know who the, who the heathen are or who the pagans are. No. When I'm praying according to the will of God, I get nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. It takes all my panic and all my fear away. One of the things we pointed out in the class on Wednesday night, and if you missed the class on Wednesday night, you've got to get the link. You don't know what you missed. But one of the things we pointed out is that God establishes in Genesis that he is our provider. Did you get that? He's our provider, and if he's our provider, do we need to worry about anything? You better not say yes. <laughs> of course you have nothing to worry about. He's your provider. And he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised to meet our needs. So you're praying according to his will, and so you're praying now with real confidence. Because when it comes to the will of God, Satan never wins. Did you hear that? Satan never wins. So persecutions are inevitable. Get used to it, it's his will. Pastor Allen, I did not really wanna to come to church today to hear that persecution is God's will for my life. But Jesus promised that. And this is why Paul says in, uh, in Philippians chapter, uh, pardon me, Romans chapter eight, verse 17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. How many like to be heirs of God? 
Amen. You like that? Are you sure? Yeah? Yeah? Paul says, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Do you like that? All in favor, say aye. Well, Paul says, but if we're to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. All in favor? Pastor, you're confusing me this morning. It's too early for this. This is what happens. Because we are heirs with Christ, we share in his suffering. Now watch how Paul prays. I mean, when I was young, I never understood this. I get it now. Aren't you glad? <laughs> this is what he prays, Philippians 2, 10 to 11. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. All in favor? I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Folks, this is what Paul is praying. And when you pray according to the, to the will of God, that's something you're gonna pray. But I'm gonna tell you, it's impossible to pray this if you're not a believer. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, if you're not converted, there's not a chance that you're gonna pray something like this. But if you are a believer today, what's Paul saying? I want to share with Christ in his work. And whenever a believer does the will of God, he's gonna face persecution. Isn't that what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? We learned this at the class, the Christian worldview. What do we do? We do the will of God all the time. We have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Well, that's, his, that's, that's the Christ's Christ worldview. What is a worldview? It's what we believe. It's our attitude, what we believe, and our values. And so this is what Paul's saying. I want, I, this, is what I, this is what he wants. This is what he's praying for. Now, that's not on our prayer list on Tuesday nights, so and maybe we need to add that. Anybody want to pray about that or pray for that? Well, the, the prayer goes on to say this. Oh, pardon me. The prayer goes on. Um, everything they did was determined beforehand according to the will of God. And then they say, and now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word, stretch out your hand with healing power, may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So remember I told you you have to remember who God is? He's, he's sovereign over all. Well, here's the, here's the thing you have to remember is that you need to know who you are. So when you go before God, you need to remember that you are a servant of God. What this word servant in Greek is the word thulos, which means slave. And by the way, when it refers to, to Jesus here as Lord, now this time, it's actually kurios. Back, we're back to kurios. Before it was despota, and now it's kurios, which means master. When you go before the Lord, you're saying, God, this is what people do all the time. God, this is what I want you to do. And God said, oh, I'm so glad. You know, write it down. What did, you, what, did you, what did you need me to do? Because I just, I'm, I'm out of ideas. 
How many know God's never out of ideas? How many know it's, 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 we're boarding on blasphemy to even suggest such a thing? When you go before the Lord, you're going to say, okay, God, here's, I, I got my paper ready. Now you tell me what you want because I'm your servant. I'm your slave. I'm, I'm gladly, gladly happy to be your slave. Tell me what you want to do. And that's what they're doing. They're saying, Lord, we're, we're, we're your servants. And then, uh, and then we read what they ask for. So what should we ask for? Well, they pray for boldness. They do not pray for persecution-free living. Because that's what a lot of people want. Oh, God, please, God, I don't want to, don't do it. I, I can't have it. Hey, can I just remember, remind everybody something? Because I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, Pastor John, how could you be so glib about this? We're talking about persecution. What if they burn me at the stake? All in favor? What if they hurt me? Do you remember that little word that we keep talking about? Grace? Grace is the empowerment of God to enable you to do whatever is God's will. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about persecution. Understand this is that God's grace will carry you through. You have nothing to fear. You will have God's grace. You will have his strength who will enable you. So what do they pray for? They pray, God, make us bold so that we can preach the gospel even more and even better. But isn't that going to get me more persecution? Yes! And so God, give me boldness to do it in spite of the fact that I'm going to be persecuted. And then finally they say, God, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What are they praying for? They're praying for a move of God's spirit, signs and wonders. I know some, some people are what we call cessationists. They believe that the Holy Spirit does not work in the same way today that he worked years ago. And folks, this is where I am truly a Pentecostal because I believe that God is still in the business of doing miracles. I still believe that the Holy Spirit is still at work in us and through us. And I have seen miracles. And many of you have seen and experienced miracles. I've experienced miracles. The building that we're sitting in today came to us miraculously. So we believe in this. So when you go into prayer, here's what you're gonna ask. You're gonna say, God, please, by your spirit, give me boldness, by your grace, give me boldness to preach the word of God. And secondly, God, move by your spirit. So what happens in answer to their prayer? Well, it says, after this, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Let me just close with these words. If we start living and believing and praying like these first century believers, we're going to see three things happen. We're going to see the encouragement of God that we read about here in Acts 4.31. The meeting place was shook. Has anybody ever experienced anything like that? In their case, probably it was a literal shaking, I'm guessing. But there's different ways in which God shakes us where we feel that we have experienced 
the presence of Almighty God. Has anybody experienced that? It's a beautiful thing. Oftentimes, I feel that after we prayed on Tuesday night, especially when everybody is agreeing out loud. The place where they were meeting was shook. You know that you've been in the presence of Almighty God. This is the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that happens is that they were filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. How many know that we need to come to the Lord so that we are fresh, we're, we're filled afresh, renewed all the time? And hopefully you're experiencing that on a daily basis. And again, on, on Wednesday night when we, when we come together, we're going to talk about how you can experience this, this, this business of being filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. John Wesley, the great preacher from the 17th century, or 18th, 18th century, he, he, uh, he says that we need to practice the presence of God. We need to experience this on a daily basis. And I'm telling you, you can experience that. For some of you, your faith has gone so cold and it's so dead and you've got no life left in you. You're barely, you're barely surviving, barely breathing spiritually. It's time for you to be refilled. Amen? It's time for you to get into the presence of Almighty God and ask him to fill you afresh. And then, of course, the third thing is that they preach the word of God with boldness. And what happened? The church just kept on rolling on. Oh, the, the magistrates and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were, they were sniping at their heels, but now they're sniping at a giant, a giant that they cannot contain. Why? because the power of Almighty God is marching forward. One of the things I love about prayer on Tuesday night, and there's so many great, great prayers and people who contribute every week, but one of them is my dear sister, Christine Portlands, who prays every Tuesday that God would pour out his spirit afresh and anew and bring revival to Cross Church. And my friends, that's my desire today. And that's exactly what we see happening. This is what's happening after this time of prayer. The place was shook, they were filled with the Spirit, and they went forth doing what? Preaching the gospel. You notice that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not for self. It wasn't so that, I, oh, I feel good now. Now I feel wonderful. No, now they're empowered to go forth in the name of Jesus to do as well. Hey, we're living in a time when the church thinks that the most spiritual thing they can do is to go and have a praise and worship night. The best thing that you and I are gonna do is to hear the word of God and then go and preach it to others. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, thank you so much for your power at work in Cross Church. Father, we feel something very special is happening in our church these days. Father, I believe that it's the direct result of, of, of going through the book of Acts. Our hearts have been refreshed and renewed as we've been reminded of what you did in those early days at the birth of the church. And God, we want to experience afresh and anew what the early church experienced. And we believe that that can happen through your people here at Cross Church. Oh God, we pray that we would pray like these early believers who when they met together, they prayed out loud. When they met together, they remembered who you are, the highest authority. You are almighty God, the sovereign one. When they prayed, they prayed the word of God. And when they prayed, they prayed according to your will. And when they prayed, they remembered who they were, servants of Almighty God. And they prayed with boldness. They prayed for boldness. 
that they would live a life regardless of the persecution, a life that proclaims the gospel. And Father, they prayed for a move of the Spirit of God. May this be the kind of prayers that the people of Cross Church pray. And we pray it all in the name of our Lord, our Master, our King, the Sovereign God. And everyone said it with me. Amen, amen. Tell the person beside you, go find some persecution. (laughs) 